Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these men. Thank you for the time that we can spend together as under-shepherds. And Lord, this life is very, very short. Remind us of that continually, that our focus might be better on the things that count for eternity. And Lord, I would ask right now that you would meet with us around your word. I pray that you would just encourage your people. And Lord, I count it a privilege to just share with them, to speak to them, to open your word with them. And God, I cannot do this on my own, and I dare not try. I I ask, Lord, that you would fill me, that you would use me, and Lord, that this would just be a, a time when we know that we have heard from you. And once again, Father, I pray that you would grant me the ability just to put my arms around these guys just to care for them and speak truth to them as if I was speaking one-on-one with each of them. And just guide us and teach us. And and truly, may this be a rich time in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. His name is Nick Walenda. comes from a family of famed circus performers and tightrope walkers. And on June 23rd, 2013, he did the unthinkable. Did any of you guys watch that on the Discovery Channel Live? He walked across a quarter-mile section of the Grand Canyon over the Little Colorado River Gorge on a two-inch steel cable. I mean, I want you to stop and think about that. And this is 1,500 feet above the river. The Sears Tower, or now Willis Tower, in downtown Chicago is 1,451 feet. This is higher than the Willis Tower. Just stop and think about it. No safety nets, not tethered down, no harness whatsoever. It took him 22 minutes with wind gusting upwards of 30 to 40 miles an hour at times, one step at a time, crouching down at times to gain his balance and then start the walk again. You know this and so do I. Sometimes ministry feels like you're walking on a tightrope. Sometimes ministry, it's very hard to keep your balance. You can feel all alone in ministry. And the goals are so far away. And you feel like things are moving so slow. Sometimes you feel like you're asked to do the impossible. And then you have these winds of criticism that just gust up in your face. Because your preaching isn't what it should be. And your leading isn't what it should be. And someone else criticizes you about this. And it just kind of, and then you just feel like you freeze. Because you're afraid. You're afraid of disappointing that family member or that key person in your church. And, and, And fear almost paralyzes you because you don't know what decision to make or what direction to take. And sometimes we need to get our balance again. Our balance in our leadership and our balance in our preaching and our balance in ministry. And Paul has some wonderful words to a young pastor named Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And these are words that help this young pastor to refocus. And this is Paul's last exhortation to this pastor to help him regain his balance and and know what he should be doing and what he should be focusing on in this tightrope of ministry. You can read along with me 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 5, verse, verse 1 through 5. I solemnly charge you, 
in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Balance pastors. Number one, I think balanced pastors feel an incredible weight of responsibility. And I think, I think it helps us stay balanced in ministry. You know, you don't walk across the Grand Canyon nonchalantly. That's not how Nick Walenda did it. He was focused, concentrating, and, and his life depended on it. We have to understand lives depend on our ministries and God's work through us. We don't tackle ministry in a nonchalant manner. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you. It comes with an extreme weight of responsibility. Basically saying to Timothy and saying to you, listen up. You need to take this to heart. It comes with force, divine order, sovereign directive. These are your marching orders from the king of kings. The fear of God is a healthy thing in life, and the fear of God is a very healthy thing for you and I as pastors. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom in your ministry, start fearing God. Start fearing God. Remember who is watching. This is in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Our all-powerful creator God and sovereign king of kings. Talk about an ordination council. Talk about witnesses to your calling into ministry. Pretty special audience. Talk about accountability. The one who sees all and knows all and hears all. You've seen those plaques in people's homes. Christ is the head of this house. The unseen guest at every meal. The silent listener to every conversation. Maybe what we need is a plaque in all of our offices that kind of go like this. Christ is the head of this church. The unseen guest at every service. The silent listener to every sermon. He is present in your church. Hang that in your office. Take it seriously and remember who's watching. And remember that you will be judged based on your performance, your ministry, your work. He is to judge the living and the dead. Now, I know many of you watch some of the Olympics in Sochi. And you have some of the sports have a panel of judges and uh, they're the experts in their field, whether it's slope style, snowboarding or skiing or figure skating. And some of those judges are subjective at times. I want you to understand there is no subjectivity with Jesus. And he is the only one on the panel of judges. And he is the expert. John 5, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to who? To the Son. Verse 27, and gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Make no doubt about it, you will be judged. Make no doubt about it, I will be judged. 
We will be judged, one, on the basis of our teaching and preaching. James teaches us that in chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You will incur a stricter judgment. God is listening to what you preach and what you teach in your churches. Quality of our work, 1 Corinthians 3, you know the passage. It'll become evident. Each man's work, the day will show it. It'll be revealed by fire, and it will test the quality of each man's work. And if it remains, there's reward. If it's burned up, you suffer loss. Yet you will be saved, so as through fire. 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We know this is coming, and we're going to be judged according to what we have done. Take it seriously and remember who's watching and you will be judged and the king is coming. By his appearing and his kingdom, his return is imminent. Over and over and over in scripture, we are taught that and we know that. So let's live like it. Let's live with like it, realizing I'm going to stand before the king of kings. It's only a matter of time. I am going to stand before the judge. It's only a matter of time. Let that shape your ministry. Who you are, how you pastor, what you preach, how you teach, let it shape you. You will stand before your Lord. He's coming back. Literally means shining forth. Epiphania, the king is coming. His kingdom will be established. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about my little kingdom. It's about the name of the king and glorifying him. It's about him increasing and you and I decreasing. He needs to increase more and more and more in our preaching and more and more and more in our ministries and more and more and more in our teaching. He must increase. You and I must what? Fade to the background. Decrease. Balanced pastors, first and foremost, feel this incredible weight of responsibility. Secondly, balanced pastors, I believe, focus on the proclamation of the word of God. Verse 2, very simply, three words, preach the word, meaning boldly declare it, publicly proclaim it, proclaiming the truth of God. And then he gives this this explanation of what he's going to talk about in preaching. But I want you to notice what he says here, preach the word. He does not say, pastors, preach your preferences. He, He does not say, preach your comfort level. He does not say, preach your likes and dislikes. He says, preach my word. Preach my word, not your preferences on music styles. Preach my word, not your comfort level on certain translations. Preach my word, not your likes or dislikes on dress code in your church. He says, I want you preaching my word. I have not called you to preach your preferences. I'm a firm believer that God does not bless our preferences. He blesses the preaching of his word. That's what he's going to bless. He is not going to bless your preferences. He is going to bless the preaching of his holy word. Make sure you focus on the proclamation of God's holy word and preach the whole word. Acts 20, 27. I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Don't skip the tough parts. Preach all of it. No alterations, no subtractions, no additions. And and, and understand this, I I do topical series at times. But I'm still preaching his word going through those texts. And I do book studies at times. I love book studies. You can't skip anything. 
I, I love book studies. Just, just I'm, my favorite book study was Genesis. I was in it for like three years, okay? I, I just love book studies. But preach his word. Preach carefully, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. There's a diligence there. Make sure you're diligent in your study. We talked about that last night. No shortcuts, no short changing the study time. The, the, the cook needs to get in the kitchen. Don't be bussing the tables. Preach Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and through 24. We preach Christ crucified. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Christ Jesus as Lord. Give them Jesus. The more of the Lord you can preach, the better. Preach the Lord. Balanced pastors, I believe, feel an incredible weight of responsibility. Focus on proclamation of the word. Thirdly, I believe balanced preachers disregard the feelings for commitment to faithfulness. Disregard feelings for commitment to faithfulness. You know, Nick Walenda that morning when he woke up to walk across the Grand Canyon, only did we find out later he didn't feel good. Like a fever the night before, coughing, head cold, and here he is about to walk across a quarter mile, uh, 1,500 feet in the air. I want you to understand something. We're told here as pastors, be ready in season and what? And out of season. Whether you feel up to it or not, doesn't matter. Preach it. Whether you're ready to go or not, stand up there and proclaim it. you got to be ready in a moment's notice. And the idea is urgency or readiness or suddenness. And you've heard the term Minutemen. Minutemen were the well-prepared companies of select men, militias for the American colonies. They were highly mobile force. They could be rapidly deployed, immediately there for war threats. And they were chosen based on their enthusiasm, their reliability, and their physical strength. Would you be chosen as a spiritual minute man? You already have been. Are you ready for the task? Are you enthusiastic? Are you reliable? And do you have that spiritual gumption and strength based on God Almighty from Him? Be the spiritual minute men. And, and these guys had to be flexible. I want you to understand something. Some of us pastors, as we age, get more and more inflexible. You know what? It's not about your schedule. You, you think it's got to fit on your schedule. Change your schedule. You have got to learn to flex if you're going to be effective in ministry. Some pastors become unmovable men instead of minute men. They, they just refuse to change, and they refuse to flex, and this is what I'm going to say, and this is how I've always done it. That's not a minute man. That's an unmovable man. And maybe God is saying, let's take you through some stretching exercises. I saw a guy in the gym yesterday. He hasn't been there in a long time because he had some back problems. The entire time he was with, he was with a, 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 a trainer, and all the trainer did was work on stretching. Maybe that's where you are in, in, in ministry, and maybe God just needs to stretch you, stretch you, stretch you, because you're not flexible in ministry like you used to be. And God is saying, the more flexible you are, the more I can use you. The more flexible you are, understand something, I'm a runner. The more flexible you are, the better your times are. The more flexible you are, the the less prone to injury you are. Flexibility in ministry is so important for so many reasons. 
If we're inflexible, I believe it really comes down to being selfish. And God has to just kind of prod us and purify us of that selfishness. We've got to be ready at a moment's notice. We've got to be ready whether it's convenient or not. He says, in season or out of season. How many of you deer hunt here? Any deer hunters here? Okay, bunch of you. Okay, you know deer, deer. there's a certain season to go hunting for deer. I, I want you to understand something. Sinners are always in season. You shoot them at any time you want with the word of God. Go after the sinners. Everybody is in season at all times. At all times. And obviously, including defending our faith, 1 Peter 3, 15, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Balanced pastors feel an incredible weight of responsibility. Focus on the proclamation of the word. Disregard feelings for commitment to faithfulness. Fourth, I believe balanced pastors balance preaching. What do you mean by that? Well, he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Nick Walenda, when he walked over the Grand Canyon, had a good grip on that pole. He had a really good grip on that pole as he walked over there. I want you to notice the five things he mentions here. Rebuke, or reprove, rebuke, exhort, great patience, and instruction. I, I almost see this as five fingers of powerful preaching. These are five fingers that give you a good grip on a message. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, great patience, and instruction. You want a message that grips people's hearts. If you want a message that grips people's hearts, you've got to reprove, and you've got to rebuke, and you've got to do it, and you've got to exhort, and you've got to do it with great patience. I'm calling that love and also instruction. That gives you a grip on that person's heart. And I think we should use those five things almost as a guide in our preaching at times. I believe all five of those things. Now, now, as you preach, maybe one of them you'll lean toward more than the other or two of them. But maybe what we need to do with our preaching is, is use this. And after we're, we're, as we're working on our sermon, maybe ask the question, do I have rebuking in here? Do I have reproving in here? Do I have exhorting in here? Do I have love and patience in here? And, and, and do I lastly have instruction in here? And maybe just use that as our guide to think through, okay, Lord, is my sermon where it needs to be? He says, reprove. Uh, that's correcting outward behavior. That's, that's stepping on toes. That's pointing out sin is what that is. Rebuke uh, can, can more, mean more of an inward heart change, bringing about repentance. We have the tool for reproving and rebuking. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's scripture. It's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. I want you to understand something. It's okay to call people to repentance. It's okay to do that from the pulpit. John the Baptist did it. See, Baptists can do it, you who are Baptists. <laughs> Matthew 3, 2, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus did it. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter did it. What should we do? Peter in verse 38 of Acts 2 said, repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. Titus was told this in Titus 1. There are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers. Verse 11, they must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach, and they're doing it for sordid gain. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Reprove, rebuke. Here, here's the third one, exhort them. In other words, after you rebuke or you reprove, come beside them with encouragement. 
Come beside them with motivation and with exhortation. I really believe every message must motivate. It's got to motivate. It's, it's not just there to give information and, and knowledge. People can get on the internet if they want information and knowledge. People can read a commentary if they want information or knowledge. I'm not here to give you information and knowledge just for information and knowledge's sake. I can go to seminary and get a boring seminary prof to do that. You're called to preach. Preach the word. Motivate through your message. Cast that vision. Give direction. Do that. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And he says with great patience. That's what I call love. Be patient with people. They are imperfect just like you. Be patient with people. As God is patient with you and with me. How patient has God been with me over 19 years of ministry? Oh my goodness, has God been patient. How patient has God been with you? Think about it. How many times has he forgiven us for stupid things? How many times has his grace just been shown in our lives? That's what we need to do with God's people as well. Instruct them. It's the final thing. Don't just tell them what not to do. Instruct them in what they should do. I get so tired of people telling me what's wrong. They come and say, well, pastor, this is wrong in the church. The first thing I say is, so what do you think we should do about it? What are you going to do about it? Don't just tell people what's wrong. Instruct them in what they need to do and what is right. 2 Timothy 3 again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? Teaching. So teach them. Are there sufficient practical steps in your ministry of the word for people to do things? Balance pastors. Balance preaching. Fifth, balance pastors expect opposition and abandonment. Get this, if you haven't already. Nick Walenda, I saw a video of him training down in Sarasota, Florida. He expected huge wind gusts. And so on his, on his steel type rope at his home that transferred, I forget how many feet, he had these huge fans set up blowing here and blowing there as he's practicing. He was ready for those incredible gusts of wind when he's 1,500 feet above the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. He was ready. You've got to expect opposition, pastors. You've got to expect people to not like you at times, to be mad at you, to come after you. It's going to happen. Some are not going to listen. Some are going to leave. They will cut, there will come a time, we read here in verse 3, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sometimes people change, sadly. We've just had a woman come back to our church after she left a few years ago. She had gotten involved in a cult. Praise God, she's back. She's back. Some people in your church are rocky soil. They've never truly been saved. It's seed that's seemingly sprung to life, but it's just withered and there's no depth of root there. By the way, times are also changing in this nation and not for the better. You better be prepared to stand strong in the pulpit and preach the word of Almighty God. Some people don't want the truth. 
They won't endure sound doctrine. Sound meaning healthy. It's the same word we get our word hygiene for, from. They, they don't want the medicine that can help them and that can heal them. They don't want the healthy food. Just like some of you don't like healthy food. You have choices when you go out to a restaurant. Some of you make poor choices. You, you know you should order that salad. You know you should order that thing that's less fat, but, but you don't. Why? Because you like the taste of this better. And you like something sweet. And you like this. Because it makes you feel good. And it tastes good. Your people do the same thing. Only spiritually and it's more dangerous. I don't want to hear that truth. I want to pick this one. It's more like dessert. I want to pick that one. That tastes better. And I want to hear that. That makes me feel good. Train your people to eat what's healthy. Just like we need to be trained to eat what's healthy physically. Train them that way. My little son, Weston, when he was a little kid, we'd give our kids, you know, little Flintstone vitamins or whatever they were every single day, and you eat your vitamin, and you eat your vitamin. One day, we pulled the couch back to vacuum. Whoa, where'd all these vitamins come from, man? <laughs> so we called little Weston over and said, Weston, hmm, these are your vitamins? Hmm. We taught him a good lesson. I picked up one of those things covered with fuzz and everything else. I said, eat it. He never hit another vitamin again, I just got to tell you. They will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hold on to what's good and what's healthy. What do they want instead? Look at what it says. They want their ears tickled. And because they want their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. This happened in Israel during Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah 5. An appalling, horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. And my people, what? They love it. They love it. I want to challenge you to resist the temptation to tickle people's ears. Preach the word. Preach the truth. The truth does not tickle. Preach the truth when it comes to sanctity of marriage. Preach the truth when it comes to sanctity of life. Preach the truth. R- recently, oh, I don't know, within the last few months, I, I did a series called Politically Incorrect. We did a major mailing out into the area, 60 or 70,000 or 80,000 homes. And uh, we called it When Christianity Confronts Culture. And, and I just decided we're going to take every one of these hot button topics and we're just going to nail it with scripture. And we're going to do it in a way that encourages people to come with our titles. Homosexuality. Is gay marriage wrong? Come and we're going to talk about this. Welfare. Who should feed the poor? We're going to look in scripture and what scripture says. Death. When is it right to take a life? And I talked about abortion and euthanasia and, and, uh, and uh, the death penalty. Racism. Can we bridge the color divide? Feminism. What is a woman to do? And we said, the scripture, the scripture speaks to all these issues. And I got to tell you, I was a little nervous at times when we sent this out. I thought, what's going to happen in our own church? What are people going to think? And I just had to say, God, I got to preach your word on these things. And I, and I really thought, well, attendance will probably start to go down. Can I tell you what happened? Attendance just kept growing and growing and growing. Why? Because people want the truth. People want the truth. They want to know, why do I believe what I believe, pastor? Will you teach me what is right, pastor? 
Well, I don't want to be tickled, Pastor. I want the truth. Teach your people the truth. Now, not everybody's going to want the truth, but God's sincere believers are going to want it. And you owe them the truth. Don't avoid the tough topics. Don't do it. Some will turn away, turn their ears away, verse 4, from the truth and turn aside to myths. The word used there is, is medically referring to dislocated joint. In other words, some people's minds and hearts are dislocated. They, they don't want help. They don't want doctor, pastor healing them. They, they don't want it. Understand that. And we need to just understand this right, right off the bat. Not everyone is going to like your preaching. Say that with me. Not everyone is going to like my preaching. Say it again. Not everyone is going to like my preaching. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, not everybody's going to like your preaching. Okay? Just get that down right now. Now, now understand this. Not everybody like Jesus' preaching. So, so for you to think they should like your preaching when not everybody like Jesus' preaching, are you that arrogant to think your preaching's better than Jesus' preaching? Not everybody's going to like your preaching. People leave. They're going to leave your church because of your leading. They're going to leave your church because of your preaching. I, I want you to understand something. I just lost my best friend in this church. Just within the last few months. My best friend. We've run marathons together. We've, we've logged a lot of miles together. He was my accountability partner too. There were disagreement. He came on the board and didn't like some of the decisions that we were going to do and different things, and I lost my best friend over my leading. But I, I want to tell you something. I have integrity because I know we did what God wanted us to do. You, you will lose some of your best friends over your leading or over your preaching, but you have to keep your eyes on the Lord. You have to keep your eyes on the Lord. The question is this, how, how do you handle when people leave your church? I want to encourage you not to do exit interviews. One is you rarely ever get the real reason they leave. They'll give you this one and there's like three or four levels of reasons. And they don't give you the real reason down here. Okay? You may say, well, Scott, how do you handle when people leave your church? They never leave. They never leave our church. You're right. Let me tell you how, how I handle it. If I find out somebody's leaving, I give them a call if I can't see him in person, and I pray a prayer of blessing over him. I say, listen, you need to go where God wants you to go, and you, you have the freedom to do that. Can I pray for you? And I lift them up sincerely before God and pray God's blessing over them and God's blessing over their family. That's how I handle it. And I always tell them, the door is always open at harvest. The door is always open at harvest. The other thing that I do I've just, I've just decided to turn it into a positive when people leave our church. And this is what I do sincerely. For every single one that leaves, I ask God to replace them with 10. For every family that leaves, I ask God to replace them with 10. And so all of a sudden, I see them as a seed that's going to bring more fruit. That's how I handle it. I get on my knees and I say, God, they are yours. Replace them with 10 who are better more committed, better teachers, tithers. God, we want the people you want here. I want to encourage you. Don't cry over the people that leave. Let them go and ask God to replace them. Manyfold. I've just picked 10. I just thought one for 10, that'll work for here at our church, whatever you want to do. 
Balanced pastors expect opposition and abandonment. Balanced pastors focus on the finish. Focus on the finish. When Nick Walendo, as he walked across the Grand Canyon on that, on that tiny little steel thing, do you realize where his eyes were 100% of the time? Tell me where they were. Do you think he was looking down? Do you think he was looking to the side? Where were they? The finish. For the entire time, he focused on the goal. He focused on the end. He focused on the finish. That's what enabled him to do it. One step at a time. When the gusts came, one step at a time. When the criticisms come, one step at a time. That's how you make it, friends. That's how you make it. He says, be sober, you, in all things, watchful, alert, stable, steady, balanced, self-controlled, in all areas of your life. Be self-controlled physically. Be self-controlled with your studying. Be self-controlled with the internet and the dangers out there on your phone. Be self-controlled with your finances Be self-controlled. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Press on in spite of the difficult people. Press on in spite of the criticisms. Press on in spite of the hurtful actions. Press on. Don't you dare quit. You've been called by God. You have the calling of God upon your life into ministry. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare quit. I mean, I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 11. Sometimes we think we have it hard. All you got to do is read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. We think we're servants. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night And a day I've spent in the deep, floating around in the Mediterranean. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such things... There's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You think you got it rough? I don't think so. You think I got it rough? I don't think so. We don't know what it is to really suffer hardship like this man suffered hardship. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. You know, you know what it's like to have hurtful, hateful people who are just carnal and nasty. I had a woman many years ago, because there was a confrontation with her son in the church that I was involved in, come up to me right before I was to preach and tell me I was a vessel of Satan. And you may say, well, that's not a big deal. Right before you preach, I'm like, I I, I sat on the front pew, or front pew, front chair, and it so shook me because this lady was so mean and just in my face and just, oh, it was, and, and I just started crying. And there was another man in the church that came up and put his arm around me and said, let me pray for you. That made a big difference. I, I had some guy in my office my first year of ministry. 
who was a control freak, okay? And he, he had to have his hands on the bulletin and on the way the chair sat and everything. He came into my office um, 19 years ago, first year in ministry, never grew up in a Christian church, never grew up in church or in a Christian home. I'm just just trying to do what God wants me to do. Comes in my office, balls me out, yelling and screaming at me, pointing his finger, calling me David Koresh. Do you know what happened to me? I just turned into a puddle of tears right in front of him on my knees. It's only by God's grace I'm still in ministry, friends. And I praise God for the deacons in this church who came around me and loved me and confronted that man. I mean, how many of you have ever gotten a nasty email? Okay, if, if you haven't, I'll send you some of mine. I've got plenty of them. I mean, I mean, criticizing your leadership, criticizing your preaching. I remember getting a letter five weeks in a row, every single week, in two, one week. And it happened to be in the month of October, Pastor Appreciation Month. And I would come in every week, and Nancy would say, yep, you got another one. I'd come in the next week. Yep, boy, you're real appreciated, Pastor Scott. And I'd come in. It's unbelievable what the enemy will do. You have to expect this. And you need to do what Hezekiah did. What, what did he do with that letter from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria? What did he do? He opened it up before the Lord. Don't hold on to the bitterness. Give it over to God. And just open up that letter to the Lord and give it over to him. Now, stay level-headed and press on in spite of pressures. Look what he says next. Do the work of an evangelist. I love this focus. He says, let's get going on souls. Don't worry about those people. Let's get going on souls. Don't worry about that criticism. Let's get going on the lost. There's too many lost people in this world. You got to get back to focusing on seeing people saved. And some of you have lost that focus. You've allowed these people with these gusts of criticism to take you away from the focus of winning people to Jesus Christ. Get back to the focus of winning people to Jesus Christ. Uh, some of the things I do, first of all, I witness to people. Uh, by the way, we have something over here just to put it before our people all the time. Uh, we are not a Catholic church, okay, with these candles over here. If you shared the gospel with someone this week, light one of these clear candles. If you led someone to the Lord, light a red one. It's just a constant visible reminder to people. So I come in, I light one of them because I'm, I'm sharing my faith every single week, guys. I hope you are. I, I hope you're sharing your faith every week. Every week. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy didn't have the calling or the office of evangelism. All right? That was not his office. But he's told to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, evangelist. That's what we're called to do. I preach the gospel every message. Every message. I know there's unsafe people here. Every message. I don't do altar calls. I don't see it in Scripture. Public profession of faith for me is the baptistry. That's the public profession of faith. But I will lead people in a, in, a, in a prayer of salvation. And we have cards in our bulletin and they can write down that they've made a decision and we ask them to get back in touch with, for us. But I, I lead people in a prayer of salvation every single service because I know there's unsaved people there. Uh, Pastor Mickey, hold up your hand, Mickey. He, he heads up our visitation. Sunday afternoon, led someone to the Lord yesterday. Did you lead someone else to the Lord yesterday or day before? Sunday. I mean, Pastor Mickey's been here, I don't know, how many months? Nine months or so? He's probably led 15 to 20 people to the Lord already. You know, last Tuesday or two Tuesdays ago, I, a night, we, had, we go on visitation. We led a couple to the Lord, uh, the guy I took out on visitation. I love that. I love that. So focus on evangelism. Focus on evangelism. And then he says this, fulfill your ministry. Stay level-headed, press on in spite of pressures, win souls to Christ, and fulfill it. That's the goal. That's the goal out there. 
wholehearted, give it your all, bring it to completion, and may we one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful what? Servant. So balanced pastors, say them with me. Balanced pastors, feel an incredible weight of responsibility. Focus on the proclamation of the word. Disregard feelings for commitment to faithfulness. Balance preaching. Expect opposition and abandonment. And focus on the finish. Let's pray. Father, I lift these guys up. I thank you for them. I thank you for their ministries. And Lord, some of them have had a tough go at it. And I want to pray that you grant them an incredible amount of wisdom and patience and strength. Surround them with the errands and hers that will lift up their arms. Grant them, Father, great time in your word. Refreshment, refreshing times in prayer. We pray this in your name. And just with your heads bowed, just talk to the Lord right now. Just talk to the Lord about your ministry. What has God challenged you on? What commitments do you need to make? What sin do you need to confess? What praises do you just need to lift up to God? Just do that right now. Lord, we just thank you for this time again. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on this, this short Q&A time that you would just sharpen us even further as iron sharpens iron. In your name, amen.